The Favorites Podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I love betting with FanDuel because they've got great odds and markets for MLB, PGA Tour, tennis, NFL futures, and more. Plus, their app is safe, easy to use, and when I win, I get paid out fast. If you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now and sign up with promo code FAVORITES so they know I sent you. You must be 21 and over and present in select states only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York. Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. There is no more important position in all of sports than quarterback in the NFL. My BFF, my companion, my compadre, Simon Hunter, professional better. How often are we talking about our belief in quarterbacks and whether or not we believe we can win as betters on a particular quarterback? It's everything, right? We always talk all the time, Chad. It's either people undervaluing quarterbacks, overvaluing quarterbacks, and understanding quarterbacks get better depending on the system and the coach with them. So we talk all the time, brother. It's like if I'm looking for a big advantage, I can find a lot of times at a quarterback that's underrated, which one of my favorite quarterbacks ever, Nick Foles, Right quarterback, right situation, right system. We saw what can happen. So I love talking QBs. Chad knows this. And especially NFL draft, I feel like me and you, especially because this show is so mainstream, that's what we talk about, right? Like that year with the five quarterbacks last year, that was everything. We talked about quarterbacks for about a month. So, yeah, we, we, know, we get it. The NFL pulse, people care about their football teams. But in the end, people care about the quarterbacks, like interchangeable because of fantasy football, maybe that's how it is. But like, why would I like Tom Brady? Why would I like Aaron Rodgers? I should hate those guys, but I like them. It's just, it's just different than other sports where we love the superstar quarterbacks. That's why I'm excited about today's guest. There is nobody more qualified to look into the mind, body, and soul of quarterbacks from the high school level to the college level to the pro level former NFL player, Jordan Palmer. He is an expert on the quarterback position, the man behind the elite training camp QB summit. He's become the go-to coach for prospective NFL quarterbacks, including recently Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, also unquestionably the greatest quarterback in the history of the UTEP minors. UTEP, of course, for everyone who listens to big bets on campus from the Action Network, everyone knows how much we love the UTEP minors. Jordan Palmer, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. Man, I love when uh, when I 
here's some folks who are not within the border of El Paso who uh, have some UTEP love because it's few and far between. So. It's a uh, it's it's we we launched Action Network four years ago, and uh, two of our most prominent college football analysts have been hosting a podcast this entire time that has gotten more and more popular. And it has a segment on there where people call in and leave voicemails where they complain about the picks they've made, or they just complain about the bets that uh, they've made themselves. And inevitably there will be a string of voicemails from people who are really upset or really happy or defending or feeling slighted because of their fandom or the bets they've made on UTEP football. It is a constant theme every single season. We're talking Minor Nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso. Picks up. Oh, that is awesome. Well, I, they got a couple of, uh, one, I like the direction the coach uh, has it headed, and then they got a couple of good young guys there. Um, they're going to have to combat the whole NIL thing because I don't know that UTEP's ever going to be able to raise money to compete with any of these schools, so it might turn into a little bit of a, you know, good player comes in, plays well, and leaves, but um, but doesn't mean they're not bettable. I have so many questions. I know Simon has so many questions because of your position as a QB guru, right? And you have worked with so many of these guys and seen how these guys develop over the years. But I want to go right off the bat. Like Simon and I did this exercise, I think it was in April, where we ranked our top 10 QBs to bet on. And it wasn't necessarily based on stats. It wasn't based on sort of the, the record of a player. It was based on what we see in the final moments of a game when we're trying to make a decision. We did this with Colin Cowherd also. He was on the show talking about it. So for me, I thought about it from the perspective of who I do not want to be betting against in the fourth quarter. Simon's was who can bounce back from a brutal pick six, the best and Cowherd was emotional discipline on and off the field. So I'll put you on the spot right now. If you're thinking about a quarterback from a betting point of view, what is the characteristic that you would like to see most as a better? Well, I just think in, in betting in general, right? If I could if I could predict the outcome of the game, I'd win money every time I place a bet, right? So if you back off of being able to predict things, okay? We wouldn't be on here if you guys could literally predict what's going to happen. Um, but you back out of being fully predictive. Um, and like, what's the level right before that? And I just think that that it's somebody whose life, and, and that's honestly, if, if Colin said that, I, I'd be shocked if our conversations hadn't somehow formed around that because I've always talked about how you live your life on the field and how you live your life off the field directly mirror the, each other uh, with, with you know, notable quarterbacks. And then I've had that conversation with him. And so for me, I look at like, who is, who's the same all the time? Who's, who's the most predictable person on and off the field. And because there's really talented guys who are all over the map, right? Don't, why did they throw that one? Whether it was a touchdown or a pick, right? Like, where'd you, how'd you see that? And why'd you throw that? And, you know, why'd you miss the meeting that we had the other day? And like, what, bought that car out of nowhere? Like, I, and again, I'm a little more behind the scenes than the, the casual fan. But when I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I learned something a long time ago. I was playing with some 
some receivers that you could classify as diva receivers. And uh, a coach on the team, I threw a pick one time because it was on them. And the coach said, really, really important lesson. Don't trust untrustworthy people. And it was like, oh, very simple. And so when I think about it, whether it's betting, whether it's evaluating talent, like who can I assume is going to be doing this when I assume that he's going to be doing that? And so I think actually it's a combination of all three of your answers. It's somebody who's proven, whether it's the pick six analogy, somebody who's proven that adversity they're unemotional about adversity, right? And, and if you're starting in the NFL, there's plenty of different examples we can look at whether you were or were not. Um, and then when it's somebody who's just the same all the time, like Russell Wilson, uh, I don't know that I'd be best friends with him if we lived next door to each other, but I can kind of tell you within pretty much certainty, like what he's doing this week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I kind of know what he's going to do. I kind of know how he's going to handle being down at the end of the game. I kind of know how he's going to protect the lead up 10, right? Seven and a half point, like six and a half point line, whatever. So I just, I look at who's as predictable as possible. And I, to find that you got to look at who they are on the field and off the field. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that because the, the biggest discrepancy that Simon and I had in our top tens um, was Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. I had Russell Wilson ranked fifth. I had Rodgers ranked eighth. Simon had Wilson eighth and Rodgers ranked third. And my interpretation of what you just said fits having Wilson ranked higher. Yeah, I, I think Aaron, if you look at it off the field, I mean, it's, is he going to show up to this thing? Is he not? And if, I mean, and you can get tattoos if you want. It's all good. But like that poof out of nowhere, the uh, love life. So it's just a lot of, you know, uncertainty surrounding him. The only consistency has really been the uniform um, from the start. Everything else has been a little different. Um, and Russ has a new uniform too, but his routine's the same. His approach is the same. His team around him is the same. I mean, this dude, I mean, I've heard all sorts of numbers, but I, I've heard around a million bucks a year is what he invests on his body, his team, his full-time chef, his full-time every. That just matters to me. I don't know if it matters to fans. I don't know if it matters to defenders. But when every single day is the same, when March is always the same and June is always the same, um, I just think you get similar results. And Russell just had his first bad year. You know, through, it, for, through his first eight seasons, nobody won more games. Um, and, uh, and also the lowest paid offensive line in the NFL, maybe an NFL history in the last two years, really against the cap where it's right now. So he's just overcome so much and he's just kind of always the same thing. Um, I actually think Russ's best ball is ahead of him because he's never had control of the steering wheel or the puppet strings. And I think he has that right now. And so if you give him all that money, why not let like this version of Russell Wilson go and then uh, pull it back if you have to. Uh, but he always had a head coach GM who were way more established before he got there. I uh, never had that. So with him, I think it's his best ball ahead of him. And with Aaron, I think this is his worst roster he's had around him offensively. And that division's getting better. Fair. And then all I heard I, was that I'm right, you're wrong. I was going to say, it's, it's crazy. A guy who just won back-to-back -back MVPs is just left for dead. That's why I just love, I love this life we live, Chad. It's the best. I know. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, he's MVP <laughs> at 37 and 38. And uh, I mean, so his best ball is not behind him. If it's behind him, it's behind him the last two years, not like back in 96, you know. Um, but uh, 
and I'm a huge Aaron Rodgers fan. I think his best is as good as anybody that's ever played the game. Um, and so, uh, but in answering your question, I think in terms of the predicting these things, that's why like all of a sudden, like, man, Aaron played bad in the, what was the NFC championship or whatever, you know, it's like, you're like caught off guard when he has a bad game, like Mahomes AFC championship second half. You're like, what is happening right now? Cause we're just used to seeing a really consistent level of play out of the best ones. And even the MVP and, top three, top four player, whatever in the league in Mahomes are like, are capable of having a bad half or a bad game. And my whole, our, basically the whole point of that little exercise was just ATS. Like who's the best quarterback we trust ATS. So that's why I was giving Chad a hard time just because Rogers, I know what I'm getting. I bet him all regular season. He covers all regular season. And then I fade him at home in the playoffs. And every time Rogers chokes at home. So that's why I get what you guys are going with it. Chad, Chad, Chad's trying to trick you. Don't let him trick you. Ah. He had Rodgers top five. He didn't have him. I've been giving him shit about it because I think he's taking the vaccine thing too far. Don't hate him because he's a liar. Think about on field, Chad. On field, Rodgers. It, it's all part of it, Simon. It all speaks to what Jordan is talking about. It, it speaks to emotional consistency. But he's got back-to-back MVPs. Like, he's doing it on the field. That's just – that's my thing. It's like, yeah, if he was Johnny, Johnny uh, Football over here, I'd be like, yeah, Rodgers got some shit going on lately, getting this tattoo and changing new girlfriends every other week. But it seems like he's just a wild dude who can keep his shit together on the field. Yeah, I think football has always made sense to him. I think that's, that's home for him. You know, those lights on, the bigger the moment. I just I, I just don't think Devontae Adams is an interchangeable piece. I agree. That's but, um, Jordan, I was thinking, like, who was the first person to hit you up to become a QB coach? Is that something you always know you wanted to do? Or did you just, like, kind of thing where it was like, you know, my kid is, you know, my kid's this number one recruit coming out of high school. I know you from playing with you back in the day. I reach out to you, like, hey, can you come work with my kid here in Southern California? And you were like, Holy shit! I kind of like doing this. This is a this is a cool gig, improving these kids' dreams. No, if I mean for me, it actually started when I was really little. Have you guys ever read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? Yes, pretty, yes, pretty good book. So I feel like I'm a chapter out of there because a couple things happened that had nothing to do with me. Um, one, I did not choose for my brother to be Carson Palmer. Now, <laughs> fans and betters may have opinions around who Carson Palmer is, but <clears throat> I've worked with a couple of number one picks, probably 25 first rounders half the starters in the league one way or another. I kind of know everybody. Um, I, he's the best example of how to do it. Uh, remove bias. I mean, the people, the way he treated the dudes in the locker room, the work, the work ethic, the, the way he rehabbed his knee, the talent. Like, they were going to start Leinert his senior year. They were going to give him one or two games to go. And his response was Heisman Trophy number one pick. Like, the way he bounced back and not no got very limited credit for what he actually did. So I can just go on and on. So one, that dude's four and a half years older than me. So that was the example that I had. Okay. So one, that happened Two, my high school coach, Bob Johnson, Rob Johnson, uh, his father, um, trained Carson starting when Carson was in seventh grade. So I was sitting on my football watching him in third grade. Okay. And this is like the first guy to like charge money for private quarterback lessons. Like it, that wasn't a thing. It wasn't an industry. This is like mid early nineties. And so, Bob Johnson then created with a few other folks, Andy Bark and student sports created elite 11, which elite 11 is like, I think like 88% of the quarterbacks on NFL rosters last year went through elite 11. Uh, there's like a bunch of crazy stats. I don't remember them, but elite 11 has been around 25 years. My dad read about that in a magazine and dropped me off as a sixth grader. Drew Brees was going into his junior year. 
Derek David Carr was going into his sophomore year, right? So, and I haven't missed one since. So I was a college counselor at UTEP when little Maddie Stafford and Timmy Tebow were the high school kids. So I've really actually seen everybody go through this. And again, I didn't pick that. So there's really two things where I've, I've grown up, I think around quarterback training. I just, I'd love to have a discussion with whoever thinks number two is um, or whoever <laughs> thinks everything's number one is. Cause I'd love to not to compare, but like, I just haven't met anybody who's been around it like me. And even Eli Manning, the younger brother of Peyton doesn't know what it's like to be, six round pick cut right away, sign an arena deal, bounce around. Like, you know what I mean? Kind of live the same life as Peyton. Um, and so it's super unique to get both sides of the perspective of, I know what it's like to win a Heisman, be the number one pick. When Carson retired, he was the highest paid player in NFL history. You can say what you want about his career, but went pretty good. And then mine to bounce around and hang on and whatever. And so I've got this unique perspective. So I had always been around it. I'd always been working with guys. Um, and then uh, uh, Trevor Moad, who's one of my best buddies, he passed away last year. Uh, he's a performance psychologist. Uh, he's the, the sports psychologist who's been working with Russell Wilson for the last 10 years. Um, he wrote a book called It, uh, it Takes What It Takes and um, another one called Getting to Neutral. And so uh, at the time, Trevor was running uh, Exos, which was like the predominant uh, place for guys to train for the draft. And he said, I was playing for the Bears at the time. And he said, uh, Trent Dilfer, a couple of people told me that you know, you're, you're the guy we want to, we want to have you come in and do draft training. And I was, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even really remember what draft training was because I just did it with my high school coach with Bob Johnson. I don't know. I, I don't know what everybody else was doing. And so um, they gave me a little bit of money. Let me eat there for free, train for free, uh, which is expensive. Uh, when you're in the NFL, you don't watch college football because you're busy. The last thing I'm doing is watching some random college game uh, in season. And so I had no idea who Blake Bortles was. Um, UCF like they have a quarterback who's good what and um and so they said this kid's coming in today to meet with you and I said listen I don't know a whole lot about the draft the running people are great the lifting people are great all that stuff I just know what you're probably going to need to know so once I figure out what you know already I'll teach you the rest of it and we became boys he went third overall nobody we didn't see it coming and, and I was I'm in the green room in New York with him for the second time right? I've been there as a little brother and I'm like this shit is awesome I want to do this. And so it's really just been like a Q1, January, February, March commitment, which has now turned into a real thing. This year, I think I'll have 10 uh, receivers and pass, or pass catchers because I'll take receivers, running backs and tight ends and four to six quarterbacks. And um, I don't I'm not competing against other people that do what I do. I don't know how you score it and how to win. I'm not trying to be number one. Um, I'm, I'm just in the service industry and, and I figure out a way to really serve these guys. Sometimes it's helping them physically. Sometimes it's on the mental side more. And honestly, sometimes it's on the emotional side more. These kids need to grow up. They need to, maybe they, there's been times when I've been the first like real man to say something like that to them in their life. Um, And so uh, whatever the role ends up being, uh, I've been able to build an amazing team around me and can really serve these kids where they're at. I love how you talk about your brother uh, because so often that kind of relationship can become so poisonous because there is jealousy involved. And the way I've seen you talk about over the years has just been, you've never gotten that sense at all. Your brother also has, I was editor-in-chief of ESP in the magazine for years before leaving to launch action. And we had a writer at ESPN named David Fleming, who did a lot of stories with your brother, a lot of feature stories in the magazine over the years. And he had, Carson had one of my favorite quotes we ever had in the magazine 
he was so accurate with his ball and knew he was so accurate that when he was working with a receiver, it might've been Ocho Cinco. Ocho Cinco said he was going to be running a certain pattern. And your brother asked him, which nipple do you want the ball on? Like that's how pinpoint accurate he could be. That's Mac Jones right now. He's a witch nipple quarterback. That was the first time I'd ever seen, and now it's happening more. I'm sure it was happening in other places too, but you go weeks in practice and games without missing. Yeah, weeks, weeks. I mean, I, I'm going like eight throws in a row without missing. Ten throws in a row. It's going to go weeks. Um, and I just – so it was funny. The reason I've never had any jealousy uh, and can, can honestly say that is um, with him – I, I didn't know, like growing up playing catch, I just thought that's what everyone's older brother threw it like, right? So it actually messed with my confidence because there was such a gap could I, between, I could do, between what I could do and he could do. And I just assumed what he was doing was normal. And so it wasn't until, and he was a top recruit in the country and all that stuff, but it wasn't really until I got to like high school and I'd go throw with the SC guys and the other three quarterbacks would show up. No disrespect to John Fox, uh, Mike Van Raphorst or some of these other guys. Um, and I go, Oh, he's like twice as good as the guys on his team. And then all of a sudden somebody else would show up like, uh, uh, somebody from UCLA, like Kay McNown or somebody would show up to a workout and I go, Oh, he's like twice as good as everybody else. And I didn't, I didn't have context for it. You know, I threw with him and I threw with my high school guys or whatever. And then my Bob Johnson would have these workouts and you'd get these other quarterbacks in from colleges who came in to work with Bob Johnson. And it was like, oh, he's four times better than Cody Pickett from Washington. Oh, okay. And that guy's, or Marcus Tuiasasopo. Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. So I didn't really have context for it. And then by the time I did, I was just so proud of over all the stuff he'd overcome and what he was doing. I was legitimately such a big fan um that that I just jealousy never came into the mix I've been jealous of plenty of other people um but just never him and uh and also once I found out that like that's what he was born to do and I was actually like born to do other things then I got really comfortable with that gap and our relationship I mean I'm in Lake Tahoe we're on the lake all day yesterday um our relationship's been incredible and now I train his 13 year old Fletch who's gonna might be a real one um how much of a QB success is being drafted into the right situation. I ask that a, because you see it all the time. B specifically, I think about the bears. We've talked about Mitch Trubisky and like in retrospect, if he's not with the bears at that time, is he a different player? Um, so how much of that makes the quarterback? I actually think it's everything because if you want to figure out if he's a real one or not, right? Because if you put a really good quarterback in a terrible situation, I still don't know. Right. So let's, let's, let's throw some names on here. Okay. So in full transparency, I, I know all these guys, but I spend, but I really, it's hard for me to really remove bias. So even if you, if you, even if you go Jordan's bias towards Sam Darnold, because I've known him since he was 14, there's still some facts here. Okay. Like, I don't know about Sam. I still believe he's a great, and if not a starter, a, a high-level starter in this league. Because if you look at the entry point, okay, in his situation, so he goes to New York, right? There's Josh McCown, but that's that's about it. It's the staff on their last, you know, the, the GM, the head coach are on their way out. Okay, so the new staff comes in. And I couldn't think of a worse setup 
Adam Gase, the offense that he runs, the way that he does it. I'm not saying a worse person. I'm just, I don't even know Adam Gase. I'm just saying how he's had success with quarterbacks versus um, what Sam, I think, needs to be able to succeed. Like, th- those are opposites, okay? So, however that played out, like, we're going to win with confusion pre-snap and have all these different things. I don't know. I just don't know if that's the way, right? Plus the personnel on those teams, okay? Like, the wide receiver room. The, I mean, it's, it's as bad as it gets, okay? So, then you go to Carolina last year. You go, okay, cool, fresh start. And they start off 3-0. and And McCaffrey goes down. They fire the OC week five. And then at that point when they benched Sam last year, they were on a pace to shatter the NFL record for drop passes. No one talked about that. They were Robbie. I think DJ was number one. Robbie Anderson was number one. DJ was like number four. And Chuba Hubbard was like number one non-receivers and drops. Right. So you just go like boom, 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 boom. Like one after another, after another in this situation. And actually in the game, when Sam Darnold got benched, they were down 11 at New York. They're down 11 and there's like a handful of minutes left. The week before, when they were down 11, he drove 90 yards versus Minnesota. DJ drops a touchdown. They kick a field goal. Drives 90 yards, has three fourth down conversions on that play. And the seam that he threw to the middle of the Trimble was one of the top five throws of the year, in my opinion. Okay. Scores a touchdown, goes for two, gets it, goes to overtime. Minnesota drives down the field and scores a touchdown and wins the game. And the next week, they're down 11 and they pull him. Same setup. Dude, you know, so like I look at a guy like Sam Darnold and I go, I mean, put him in any of these others, you know what I mean? Like put him in a situation where they build it around him. I think he's on his second deal, right? And then there's guys that go to the perfect spot. Like Mahomes, they built it right around him right away. Josh, what Brandon Bean and co did around Josh Allen in Buffalo. And by the way, not right away. Kelvin Benjamin was Josh Allen's number one target his rookie year. They were not good. Brandon Bean did not take over an awesome franchise that was on the way up. They built it, but the balls to go and take Josh and go about that process the way they did. And then to build it around him and go get Mitch Morse, the center who was with Mahomes, and then go get these pieces. And you know, we can talk about trading for Stefan Diggs, but that was, that was just an example of a belief system they had to build it around the quarterback to go get stuff Diggs, Right. And so, I just look at, I look at guys like if you take this quarterback who succeeded and you put him in this bad situation, is he picking up his option? And then you put this quarterback who everyone thinks is a bust and you put him in a great situation. And it's like, did he get paid two years ago? And I just don't know. And so we know we can trust our eye. When we see Patrick Mahomes, a great player, go to a great organization that builds around him. Poof. We know what that looks like. We're not confused by it, but where people get confused is when a quarterback who's really good goes and really struggles in a bad situation and we automatically assume that that's that player so my last thing i'll say is overwhelmingly completely opposite sides of the spectrum here teams whiff on developing the quarterback way more than that quarterback is just a bust and it's not even close in my opinion this baseball season turn k's into cash and big hits into big wins with FanDuel sportsbook Right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. So just sign up, place your first bet, and FanDuel will give you up to $1,000 back in free bets if you don't win. I love betting with FanDuel because they've got great promos every single day on an app that's safe and secure. Plus, when I win, I get paid out fast. So today, I used my no-sweat first MLB bet on the American League to win the All-Star Game. 
There's no better place to bet America's pastime than on America's number one sportsbook. So download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up using promo code FAVORITES to get started with your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Must be 21 or over and present in Arizona, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, or Louisiana in permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, West Virginia, or Wyoming. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bet that expires 14 days after retreat. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, or Illinois. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 in New York. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. So, Jordan, I think you're going to back me up here. This is a gambling show at its core, and to me, I'm always looking for edges. I'm looking for long shots, and me and Chad on the show have talked many times about the second, third-year quarterback. That is the biggest edge a better will get in football. Mahomes, MVP, year 50-1. to one. Open the season. Lamar MVP season again, second year, 50 to one. We saw last year, huge leap for Joe Burrow. Took 150 to one team to the Super Bowl. This year, my team is the Jaguars. Simple fact, Trevor Lawrence. I have a guy, everyone's out on Trevor Lawrence after just one year, the number one pick, just because he had such bad coaching last year. They're sitting at 125 to one to win the NFL championship. He's at 75 to one to get MVP, Trevor Lawrence. Am I not? I'm, I'm, I'm in the right line of thinking here, right? Thinking Doug Peterson, whole new offensive scheme. Would you back this kind of view with Trevor Lawrence where you could see him taking a huge leap year two, just the right coaching and the right scheme built around him? Because the talent's there. 100%. I mean, I don't know that a rookie has dealt with more, you know, than he dealt with. Because we've all heard the stories, but you know yeah. how it is. That's what, 30% of the stuff that actually happened? 20%? I, you know what I mean? I'm not even coming from an insider. I'm just saying that's just how the league works. So um, very few people have dealt with more. And on top of that, dealt with more negative negativity off of the amount of positivity he's dealt with. This guy's never really lost. He played for a high school coach that he loved and respected. He played for Dabo Sweeney, who he loved and respected. He stepped into a winning culture in high school. He stepped into a winning culture in college, and he added to that winning culture. And then he went to an absolute dumpster fire. And so it's not just how bad the situation was. It's the lack of experience that he had dealing with a bad situation. Like Trevor, how do you deal with a coach that you don't trust? Don't know, never done it. Right. So like when you look at it from that perspective, he had to overcome the most. I was impressed with how he played. I I mean, again, I've coached the guy, whatever. I'm impressed with how he's played because what he's managed, the talent around him, um, that team, you know, I, I just, I thought it was impressive. And I think they're, they're definitely poised to turn this thing down around a lot quicker than people think. Now that roster is not necessarily where the chiefs were his second year. And that roster is not where the, the Ravens were in Lamar's second year. Um, but this roster is not where it was last year either. And uh, I think Christian Kirk, people can ooh and awe about the money and say what they want. Uh, but he's talk about predictable. A dude, I know I've known him since high school. It's Kyle Allen, a guy I've, worked with forever as his best friend since he was little been around Christian since he was 
four foot six and that guy's the same thing every single day all he's trying to do is is get open and, and the way he approaches the game so I like that like but that's the right like that's the right guy to pay to bring into that room as you bring in young receivers moving forward and they go okay that's how I'm supposed to train that's how I'm supposed to approach the game so between Doug between some of the offseason off uh, moves that they made um, and you know, which Trevor, um, he knows how to build it and he knows how to, uh, he knows what success looks like. I think it's a better way to say that. And so, um, I think they have the leadership that they need and they have no expectations. And I think that when you put people who've been there and done that, Doug's won a Super Bowl, Trevor's won a national title, a couple of other guys have won at a high level. When you put them in there with no expectations and they get to operate in secrecy out in Jacksonville, I've played there. Nobody, nobody's paying attention. Um, then you can turn things around really quickly. What about a guy like Jalen Hurts? It's another team. Everyone is talking about this team as having higher expectations. This is a year that he has to prove it. He's been given weapons around him. Do you look at a guy like that and say, okay, he's got the skill set if he's a, if the right people are around him to take the leap? Yeah, I do. Um, but at the same time, I'll say this, like we're going to be able to, I think, come to a conclusion on Jalen Hurts at the end of this year. You give him this, it's kind of like Baker last year. You know, you look at Baker, who's Baker's played with. His whole line went to the Pro Bowl. There's like seven out of nine guys have gone to the Pro You know, like you look around it, you go, mm, he's had talent around him. Jalen's got that now, right? Offense and defense. The secondary is a little questionable, but for Jalen, for me, the weapons around him, this is, I don't know if it's make or break, but we're going to be able to come to a consensus uh, at the end of this season. And he's shown that he's a playmaker. Um, and, and let's just, I'll talk about this for a second. The difference between putting the ball in play and being a playmaker in high school football, right? I do the elite 11, all these elite camps, all that stuff. You can become a five-star and get offers and all that stuff off of your playmaking ability. Okay? In college to have success, you've got to make plays and you also have to put the ball in play and kind of take what they give you. The NFL is about putting the ball in play. And I haven't seen Tom Brady make a play in a decade. Now he might dropping dimes is not making a play, right? Run, jump over this guy, whip one 60 yards across your body. That's making a play. Brady doesn't do it. Doesn't need to do it because he puts the ball in play so consistently that he doesn't need to do that. And so my, my thing that I'm excited to watch on Jalen is, is he evolved is has he evolved into a guy who's going to build his game off of putting the ball in play? And you'd think that that's easier than making a play. And it's not because I think quarterbacks, they get really good at what they need to do to survive. And if you've survived off being a playmaker, stop, start, cut back, drop a dime in there, make an amazing throw. I just think if that's the foundation of your game and you, and you would, you're more likely to make a play than just go through your progression with timing and accuracy and consistent footwork if that's the case, I think you're going to lose in the playoffs to somebody who does. And I think that's like Lamar Jackson is another example of that. that Josh, that's where he evolved. He was a playmate. Josh Allen was a playmaker who has learned Brian Dable, Ken Dorsey, all these people who've been in the room with him. Josh has gone from a playmaker who's learned how to put the ball in play and make a play when he needs to. That's where this, this game is at right now. And my question on Jalen Hurts is, is, can he, can he, can the foundation of his game be putting the ball in play and making plays when he needs to? If not, then I think that we're going to continue to, we're going to continue to question Jalen. So two guys, you mentioned making a play and putting the ball in play. Nobody exemplifies that more than Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And you said, you've said in the past, you've worked with Josh Allen, that he is the best 
athlete to play the quarterback position? Explain that. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not like, here's, here's my personal opinion. I just, if you, if you look at the strongest arms, he's at the top of the list or he's whatever. I, I don't know how you rank him anyways. Right. So he's top, top couple arms ever. Um, older guys who know what they're talking about would agree. Right. And then, um, you know, I don't care about 40 times much, but he's clearly one of the best runners in the league. There's something that nobody's talked about this whole off season. I got to look up the guy's name. He trucked a linebacker from the chiefs. He knocked him out of the game. And then three plays later, he's running down the sideline and Sorensen, the safety, who's the hard hitting safety from the chiefs turned him down on the sideline, three plays later. Nobody talks about that, right? We've seen him hurdle people, truck people. We've seen the stiff arm. He's cut back a million times. He's got a spin move. He can use his blockers. He's a runner. He's a dynamic run threat. Nobody's saying, let's just not let him beat us with his arm. Let's make him beat us with his legs. No, because he's going to beat you with your legs. So from a runner, from, his, from an explosiveness standpoint, the stop, the start, uh, and he's 250. He's not 206. And people say, well, Michael Vick's faster. Michael Vick was six foot, 190 whatever he was. You know what I mean? These guys are, some of these guys are little. Josh is massive. Josh is the biggest quarterback in the league. Probably I'd have to, you'd have to like give me a name right here. Um, but anybody who's remotely as close to the size of him does not run like him. And so I just look at the arm, the explosiveness and not just being fast. There's fast guys who aren't great runners. There's guys that aren't that fast that are great runners. Blake Bortles ran four, nine at the combine. He led all NFL quarterbacks in rushing two years in a row because he knows how to run knows when to cut back. He sees the field. Uh, and I play, I've been around fast guys. I've, another quarterback I played with in Jacksonville, Blaine Gabbert, is super fast, but we just never really saw him rip off 60 yarders. And so um, I just look at uh, Josh and the whole piece is, I go, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, it's, it's an open conversation, you know, with whoever the other names are. But I, I, I said this in a podcast, but like, but, but you can't compare him and Cam Newton. That's what people want to do. And I go, as a thrower, you just, I don't, I don't want to sit here and beat up on Cam, but you, you're, you're not, those aren't the two, two, those two aren't the same thing. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. I, I was being Chad to talk to this offseason about who is the best quarterback in football. And I got a little heat from it for saying it was Josh Allen because people are like, what has he done? And I just took it from the standpoint of, I'm just talking about the pure position. Like this guy is the best athlete to play the position. Like you just said, he can outrun people. And if he needs to, he can run through them. The guy he knocked out in that game was actually Honey Badger for the Chiefs. So that that's he's just a freak. And I'm I'm looking at the business now, and I'm actually just thinking about what your view is on Derek Carr. Like me and Chad are kind of not the biggest fanboys. We love Derek Carr. We gave him out last year, forty to one to lead the league in passing. Sounded crazy. He almost got there. I think he finished fourth this year. You know, me and Chad didn't either, either of us have him in our top ten, but we have him right outside it. Like we think Derek Carr is right there. Do you think with the weapons he has this year, he's going to be back to that MVP form he was all those years ago with Amari Cooper? I do. I do. I'm a big Derek Carr fan. And this is the thing. Like, who has dealt – which quarterback has dealt with more BS outside of their control? Like, I'm asking you. Who, who else has dealt with in the last three years more BS? Think about it like this, too. When you have A.B., when you sign A.B. in the offseason, okay, it's not even that you're counting on a great player or whatever. It's that – Everything that you've talked about and designed is around that, whether he's opening up this guy, whether he's going to get it, like your whole philosophy of what you believe is going to work for this year was taken away from them in training camp in a 
I mean, just unbelievable fashion. Burn the house down on your way out and you're on hard knocks and all the, I mean, who is like, that's, just, that's your, whether you, whether Derek even liked AV, doesn't matter. Like that's what you scheme the whole offense around, right? Like that all of your meetings have been about this and then poof, it's gone and it's irreparable and it's way too late to get anybody else in here. It's freaking August. So like, to deal with that and then nonstop. Now I ever, a lot of quarterbacks deal with this, but like the whole narrative for five years has been, when are the Raiders going to draft their quarterback? Right now, a lot of people deal with that. So I'm not, that's not specific to Derek, but, um, and then, so then, then you have the Gruden stuff. Then you have the rug stuff. Then you have like, it's just been one thing after another. And like, he barely lost to Joe Burrow in the playoffs you know what I mean? On the road and just strung it together in the last game versus the charger. And so I just, I, I'm just a fan kind of like waiting for like, when's he going to catch a break? And boy, does it certainly look like this could be the year between Renfro being locked up, Devonte coming in. So I, I think Derek Carr has a breakout year. And what's crazy is the first year that he went off, remember when he broke his leg in Mexico city versus I think Houston, the stats that season, everyone, he had arrived, right? He signed a hundred plus million dollar deal. Everyone was on the Derek Carr chain. And then they were off of it. The next two seasons, he had better stats. He was better the following two seasons than he was the year that we were all excited about. But it's just like, that's the narrative, right? And so maybe it's because he's kind of dorky. Maybe it's because he wears his religion on his swing or because on his sleeve, or maybe it's because he doesn't wear sleeves, right? He's all gunned up. I don't know, but people just find it really easy to hate on this guy. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, I got a lot of friends in Raider Nation and they, they're a lot of them. They ask me that question and I give the answer and they go, good, because that's what I think, too. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's like the sentiment in Raider Nation. Um, and uh, boy, do I hope he has an, an awesome year. And, and I'll tell you what, if he if this year, if they win that division or come in second in that division and go to the playoffs, everybody needs to shut up coming out of that division. He yeah. beat if he if he ends up first or second in that division this year. It ain't going to be because of the run game, because of the defense. And they've whiffed on defensive picks, too. I forgot about that. They've completely botched picks. So he's, you know what I mean, like empty-handed here. And so, yeah, I, I think Derek Carr, you know, I, I would put him at a guys like Murray. Uh, if Murray's on your list, um, nah, Derek wouldn't be number three, but uh, I, he'd be on my list for sure. Yeah, they're 7-1 cool. to one right now, Las Vegas, to win the AFC West. So pretty good odds there. I like that. That AFC West is so interesting because, and I'd like to get your opinion on this, the Chiefs let Tyreek Hill go in a trade. People are still favoring the Chiefs to win the division based on Mahomes, based on Andy Reid, based on the other weapons they have. You look at this, you just mentioned, you know, three seasons ago, Antonio Brown, that's the plan. He disappears in training camp. When you lose a weapon like Tyreek Hill, the Chiefs don't win that AFC title game last year against the Bills. I mean, uh, the AFC playoff game against the Bills without Tyreek Hill making the plays from Patrick Mahomes. How much does something like that impact the team that isn't being accounted for in these odds in the AFC West? I think it's massive. I think the two plays in the AFC West are the Broncos and the Raiders. I haven't, the Chargers haven't proven me that they're winners yet. And I know you got, you can, because we look, this is what happens. We look at rosters, right? Chargers might be a top three roster, right? Especially if Derwin healthy, he hasn't even played yet, right? He might be one of the best. I'll tell you what, NFL guys think Derwin James is one of the best defensive players in the league. That's what NFL players think, right? He hasn't even played yet, right? So you look at that roster, but 
they had that roster last year for the most part. They haven't really shown, I don't know. I just, I don't, I haven't seen that. I, I don't know how to say it. Like they're not winners because they've won a bunch of games, but I just haven't seen that yet. Right. Even in Herbert in college, I haven't seen that yet. Right. That like killer instinct win by all. I've seen it out of Mahomes already. I've seen it a ton out of Russell Wilson. Um, I've seen it out of Derek Carr with a lesser roster figured out and being there in the end. I just haven't seen it with the chargers. And, I, and to your point, Tyreek Hill is not a receiver. He's not a good receiver. He's one of three people in the NFL who can score from any place on the field at any time. You don't, those guys are not interchangeable, right? I just don't like, in my opinion, it's, it's Jamar Chase and, and, um, and Alvin Kamara. And it's like, th- those guys aren't regular players, right? When you, when a guy can at any point score a touchdown and there's just, I think there's only three, like can make six people miss and score a touchdown. Then I, that's not an interchangeable piece. I know I watched a video of you talking about Josh Allen in which you would text him things like, you know, congrats on being a pro bowl alternate and try to goad him a little bit because you know, that's what motivates him of the quarterbacks you've coached who manages and responds to that kind of trash talk and feedback the best. Uh, well, I think it's case by case. And, and and I don't know if it's more like, I think I got that got turned into here's how I motivate him. And really, it was just like, here's how I talk trash to my friend. And I know the <laughs> response it's going to get. Um, but I mean, probably my brother in that case. <laughs> um, yeah, just over the years, because it's not like a coach. I mean, I you train with me for a couple years at the end, I wouldn't say coach my brother, but um, but just knowing that the, the right little things to because well, we grew up golfing and doing stuff, you know, and so like kind of knew what could get under each other's skin, but also knew we could get the other guy going, you know what I mean? And so I'd have to really think about some examples, but, um, but yeah, definitely my brother, just cause that, that was the rapport and nobody talks more trash than my brother. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's sarcastic. Sometimes it's like, if it's a big time putt and it's for the win, sometimes it's really true shit that he said, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so he knows how to, knows how to, um, you know, strum those strings. Uh, and so I think I learned it from him and I've given it back to him over the years. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, I want to talk about college football for a second, because you're yeah. obviously looking at a lot of college football quarterbacks already. A lot of talk about what this class looks like. Do you have thoughts on not who the best quarterbacks are that we're already talking about, but who are some of the quarterbacks that we should be thinking about as betters running teams that maybe aren't as, as sort of in the public eye, but their quarterbacks are good enough to keep games close. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's the, the three guys at the top, you know, CJ Stroud, look, you're going to bet Ohio state, however you bet Ohio state, uh, same thing with Bama with Bryce, Kentucky's a little different because um, Will Levis, I think is going to have a chance to be a really high pick, maybe the top pick we'll see. Um, but losses OC, losses wide out. It's in the it's in the, it's in the SEC. So that's that, that's one of those um, you know superstar player. We'll see how the team ends up being uh, and how much they can carry them. If it's in a lesser conference, then a great quarterback can just carry that team all the way through. In the SEC, that's not necessarily the case. If you can't stop somebody, you can't stop somebody, kind of thing. Um, but uh, there's a couple other names that uh, I think those three guys would be great pros. A couple other names that come to mind. Um, one is Cameron Rising from U- uh, Utah. People got finally got a chance to see him play last year versus Ohio State uh, in that shootout. 
Cam Rising is a baller. He's a great playmaker. Um, as I talked about earlier, putting the ball in play and making plays. And, uh, and I think he's really accurate with deep balls, um, which in college football is a lot big part of the game. Um, another guy is uh, Devin Leary from NC State, North Carolina State, fifth-year senior, um, highly recruited kid. And, boy, it's just all clicking for him. He's got a stud wide receiver. He's got a really good coach. Um, he can rip it as good as anybody in the country. Um, and uh, he's been at Manning, and he's been at Manning. I, I was out at Manning with him and, like, 40 college guys. I was at the Elite 11 with him and a couple with Bryce and, and CJ and, and some of these guys. And uh, he can spin it as good as anybody in the country. Um, and so that's a, there's a, not a long shot, but there's a good, like, eh, follow the wolf pack here this year. Uh, and then the third one is, this is who I love is, uh, university of Houston, Clayton tune. So Houston is kind of like Cincinnati. They've kind of won like nine or 10 games a few years in a row. Dana Holgerson has had some really good quarterbacks. He's had some really good receivers. Um, this might be his best quarterback and his best receiver. He's had, uh, uh, tank Dell, little tiny wideout who's, I mean, just electric. He, he might be one of the best playmakers in college football this year that nobody knows about, little guy number one. Um, and so Houston is another team to watch. Um, and I like, you know, when I look at it from a, the betting landscape, I like the, the school that nobody cares about outside of that fan base that, like, should be way better than people think, largely because of quarterback play. Like I said with Will Levis, sometimes no matter how good the, the quarterback is, when you're on an SCC team, if you're not, if it's not close, at, on special teams and D line and secondary, then it can, it can, it, it can get ugly, but at a lower level, you can win 11 games just off good quarterback play. Right. Cause you can outscore people. Um, that's what I think of at Houston. Um, they're going to pick up where Cincinnati left off. Uh, I've worked with Desmond Reynolds the last few years. So I got a chance to kind of see that, learn that conference better. Um, and Houston has all the writing on the wall to have one of those teams where I go, if people don't really pay attention to Houston and all of a sudden, you know, they don't lose. So the, no, they don't lose or they don't lose until a big time bowl game. Jordan, I feel like the biggest takeaway from this will probably be I was right about Russell Wilson and Simon was wrong. So for that alone, I appreciate you uh, coming on the favorites podcast from the volume podcast network, Jordan Palmer, QB summit, QB guru, extraordinaire. Thank you so much. For Simon Hunter, for Matt Mitchell, I am Chad Millman. Download us from Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, leave us five stars, say whatever you want. Feedback is a gift. Until next time, love you. Love you.